The Holy Gospel according to St. John, the second chapter. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water now become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first. And when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana and Galilee and manifested his glory. And his disciples believed in him. We didn't have one at our wedding, but a lot of weddings nowadays have wedding planners. They are the people that go around making sure everything is just so. The number of things that you need for the wedding matches, the number of guests that you have, everything is on time and in place, so on and so forth. Well, it is a certain thing, given today's predicament in the gospel lesson, that that couple that got married at Cana and Galilee did not have a wedding planner at all. They ran out of wine right in the middle of the celebration. That's an embarrassing thing to have happen, isn't it? Have any of you ever hosted a party or a relatively big event and you run out of food or drink right in the middle of it? I mean, you sort of know that if you're going to err on one side or the other of having too much or too little, you err on having too much because then everybody makes sure that they can have what they need. If you have too little, though, you have to say, I'm sorry, and you have to look down in embarrassments. Now, sure, back then there were more people that would come to these things. Weddings were a much bigger deal. They didn't cap the guest list, as it were, at 100, 150 people or 200. The whole community would have been in some way, shape, or form invited, or at least maybe to the celebration part. And they had more fluid guest lists, and so it's understandable that they would go through what they had. But still, it's an embarrassing thing, a predicament for them to be in. So... Jesus' mother, Mary, steps in. When the problem becomes apparent, she decides to try and help out. Now, this is before Jesus had performed any other miracles, mind you, in John's Gospel or any others. He hadn't healed the sick. He hadn't raised the dead. He hadn't multiplied loaves and fishes yet. He is just the son of Mary and Joseph from Nazareth. She had a promise from Gabriel about who he was and what he would do, but had not yet with her eyes seen that he could or would do anything. And so... Even still, in faith, she steps out, and she goes to Jesus, and she essentially asks him to help. Now, some of us know, she doesn't say a question. She doesn't say to him, can you please help out, Jesus? They've run out of wine. She makes a statement to him. They've run out of wine. Now, we all know that sometimes questions or requests can come in the form of a statement, right? The one that is familiar in my own home is, the baby's crying. Okay? That's a statement. But everybody knows that something is loaded in that statement, being, could you please do something about it? And yes, that works both ways from one of us to the other. Well, after a light chastising of his mother, a very gentle one, that his time has not yet come, the Lord does intervene. He intercedes and helps out this party that has come to a screeching halt. And what is the happy result? Six jars. 
that were used for the purification of the Jewish washing rite became full, miraculously, of wine. Not just good any wine, but top shelf, top quality. Now, what does all this mean? Well, first of all, let's just give the credit to the meaning to the actual event itself. At a certain town in Galilee, at a certain time and a place, for a certain couple, a very real man and a woman that got married that day that had names, families, interests, hobbies, and all the rest, their wedding was saved, okay? The meaning number one is that Jesus did this miracle and a lot of people benefited and probably got to stay and celebrate the marriage a little longer than they would have otherwise. But what about for us? Why today does this lesson get read in the church? Why do we hear it? Why do we think about it 2,000 years removed? The question is, what does it teach us? Well, in the first place, really quickly, as with all of Jesus' miracles, it teaches that he is God. As it says in John's Gospel, his power and authority is manifested in the miracle that he does for the people. It's an important thing and theme for the Epiphany season. The second thing I think it teaches us in brief is that Jesus is very, very generous. He gives to people who are in need, as we see with so many of his other miracles, as he goes on throughout his ministry in the following three years, and he gets started right there that day at that wedding with the wine. And the third thing is that Jesus wants people to have joy. Think about it this way. Jesus' first miracle, it's not raising the dead. It's not healing someone who is injured or ill. It is not even giving hungry people that had no lunch out in the wilderness food, the necessities, the bare necessities, that what they needed to live. It's making water into wine. A representation, I think, that we'll talk about in another year, but just here briefly, that Jesus wants his people to have joy. Jesus, God, your God, wants his people to delight in the things of this creation, to enjoy them, to have celebration in this life. But we'll talk about these things in the future. Today, what I want to talk about is this. When the celebration seems to be over, when it seems to be winding down, coming to a close, it's not. It's just getting started, and it's getting better than it was even at the start. Um, I don't know if any of you have ever been in the situation which I found myself in a couple of times in college. I was a music minor, and you would have to go to so many concerts, public performances, to get the requirements for the minor. And so I would have to go to an orchestra playing a piece, a symphony or something. And there was a few times where, as one does for an hour or two hour long thing, you kind of zone out a little bit. And then when one of the movements came to an end, I remember so clearly I thought, it's done, and I started clapping like an idiot because it wasn't done. It was just a pause between movements, and you had the final thing to come after that. And I think I turned beet red and sat there in shame. You think it's over, but it's not, but the big finale is yet to come. Well, that's what happened with the people of Israel and their worship of their God. We all know from Leviticus and the rest of the books that the worship of God in Israel was a magnificent, beautiful, awe-filled sight to behold. Every sense of the senses was stimulated when people would come to God's tabernacle and later his temple to worship him. They would smell the incense, smell the blood too. They would see the fire rising, the smoke of God's glory. They would taste the meat and the bread of their sacrifices, some of them at least. And they would behold the awesome power of God. Quite a worship experience, was it? And through all of that, on top of it all, 
It wasn't just a show, but it was them receiving God's forgiveness and fellowship with him. The worship of Old Testament Israel was a great party, as it were, to use the metaphor. A wonderful celebration. But all that came to a crashing halt. First, when Judah was taken into captivity in Babylon, and the temple raised to the ground, and the sacrifices and public worship of Israel ceased. Later on it was restored, but then the Romans came in, and sort of the temple worship that was going on had this asterisk next to it. The party seemed to be winding down for Israel. The party, for them, seemed to be over. But actually, it was not over. In Jesus Christ who came, it was just beginning. Newer, truer, and better blood than the blood of beasts poured out upon the altar was that of the eternal Son of God who would come into this world to pour out his blood as a sacrifice for many. Like Cana's wedding, the worship celebration with Jesus Christ didn't come to a screeching halt. It got even better than it was before when the Son of God came. See, salvation for God's people, Old Testament and New, has always been by faith. It wasn't like we were saved kind of like a mixture of faith and works in the Old Testament, but now it's just faith in the New. No. There were sacrifices that were symbols of faith and representations of God's, or the people's obedience to God, but the people always were saved by their faith in that God and his promises. And Jesus came as a fulfillment of that promise, a fulfillment of, the people, fulfillment of the people's hope and their faith. And he delivered when he came beyond all expectations, beyond all hopes of what the people could have had. And this fact, this reality of what Good Friday and Easter Sunday would eventually be for these people, that's previewed right there at the beginning of his ministry at that small or large wedding in Cana. As, it se- as the seeming end of the feast, at, Jesus, at, at the end of the feast, as he didn't turn this water into like a really cheap wine like Franzia or La Rossi or something like that, if you've ever had those, those are not that great, okay? What did he do? He turned it into rich, flavorful wine, good stuff, the stuff you would never even think about buying. You know, you kind of look at the top shelf, too expensive, the bottom, too cheap, not good. You go to the middle, no, top shelf. That's what he went for. That's what he made. And instead, in his sacrifice and resurrection of more ceremonial obligations, what did Jesus do? But he gave to his people his righteousness and his own precious blood as an atonement for the forgiveness of sins. And, what's more, instead of a paltry amount of wine, what does Jesus do? But gives them six jars full, big jars full. Not just enough, but more than enough. He could have just said, well, that was foolish of you not to plan ahead, and I'm going to go ahead and give you just enough to get by for the celebration, and it's going to come down to the last drop. No. Huge jars full to indicate his generosity. And like that, later on, instead of coming to forgive the righteous, what does he do? But generously forgives us, poor sinners, something that we did not deserve. The celebration you see that was the Levitical law and the priesthood and the sacrifices was not over, was not done, was not wrapping up, but was fulfilled and supplanted by a far greater sacrifice and gift and celebration of God. 
There are many satisfactions that we can and do enjoy in this life, many joys and indulgences that we have, but all of these things, if you think about it, give it a moment's thought, think about the best thing in the world that you enjoy, it does finally leave you wanting, doesn't it? We become hungry again, we become thirsty again. Good family gatherings come to an end or you just get tired of the house guests. No, they all end, parties disappoint. But those who are in Jesus Christ by faith are a part of a party, a celebration, a family of God that never ends and never disappoints and never leaves us wanting. We have eternal life with our Lord and our King forever. So today and every Lord's Day when we gather to hear the word preached and read, to receive the Lord's precious body and blood and this holy sacrament which we are about to partake of together, remember this. We are in a celebration, the beginning of a celebration, not one at the end of our lives or as each one of us approaches the end of our lives, but one that we are partaking of that is a preview of the celebration that we will enjoy with our Lord Jesus Christ in heaven for eternity. To him be all praise now and forever. Amen.